Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 181, recorded for the week of September 7th, 2022. You get a Tanzu, I get a Tanzu, everyone gets a Tanzu. Good evening, <laughs> Ryan and Peter. Hello. Hello. Hey. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's you know we're in the you know first show of September, which means you know most of the news stories came from the last week of August, and you know as I would like to do, uh, uh, the cloud providers are on vacation because <laughs> there's not a lot of news this week, uh, which is great. Uh, so it'll be a somewhat short week uh, this week, but uh, you know still things are going on. And so first up, uh, you know when we talked about sustainability here over the years. Uh, you know, we sort of kind of wonder what the big play was with sustainability and really why we want to do this. And then Gartner apparently published uh, a part article talking about three reasons that vendors or your SaaS vendors will be increasing prices uh, between 15 and 20 percent over the next three years. Uh, and of course, you know, the two obvious ones were, well, labor costs are going through the roof and number two, inflation. Uh, but the first reason they gave was actually sustainability, <laughs> sustainability regulations being introduced across the world. Uh, will make buyers prefer SaaS vendors who are sustainability compliant. And so if you are taking advantage of sustainability services from things like Google Cloud or AWS, uh, you can now potentially charge more money for it, which was not an angle I ever thought of. Telling me why I'm not in BizDev and in Cloud instead. Nothing comes for free. So you want sustainability, you're going to pay. Sort of funny though, because uh, the whole point true, of yeah. environmental sustainability was to make it cheaper for them, right? So that way they didn't have to raise our prices. But now, now they found the they found the loophole. Not yet. I don't think yet. I just think not yet. It's still more expensive. I wonder because yeah, it does seem like it, reading through the article that this is more of a you know like we're going to raise the costs because of the cost of sustainability, but that's not the real reason, right? Because the expectations that those the sustainability efforts are going to lower their overall costs. Um. You know, at least eventually. So that's it. Sort of feels like yes. this is sort of feels like this is sort of we've got you know inflation and rising labor costs and changes the world, and so we're just going to blame the sustainability because we have easy metrics for that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one thing you can blame, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, labor and inflation, I think, are probably the bigger bigger culprits of why prices are on the rise and all things software these days. Yeah. Gotta maintain those margins, man. You can't you can't <laughs> let inflation eat away at the bottom line. <laughs> you gotta increase the top line to make up for it. Well, uh, VMware World or VMworld, as I like to call it, uh, which was rebranded to VMware Explorer. I've been calling it VMworld all this time, just out of, out of spite. But VMware Explorer conference are officially wrapped up, and uh, I can sum it up with Tanzu, <laughs> lots of Tanzu, lots and lots of Tanzu. So, you know, reading through uh, some of the highlights, uh, you know, the new Tanzu app platform, which is like their answer to uh, platform as a service, Tanzu Mission Control to manage all your Kubernetes things like Anthos, Tanzu Kubernetes Grid, uh, which I don't really know what that is because it's a terrible name, Tanzu Observability, which speaks for itself, and then of course operation operator learning subscriptions, so you can guess, uh, you know, for you to guess how to run Tanzu, I guess. Uh, Tanzu Activation Services for those who don't want to learn how to do Tanzu but still want it, uh, and Tanzu for Kubernetes operators. VMware cross-cut services and rapid portfolio modernization services. So you can pay VMware all the monies to make you Tanzu. So that's always good. vSphere Plus, uh, which is a bunch of new enhancements to administration and developer productivity through vSphere. And then vSphere 8 and all associated products like vSAN, uh, which I would have told you was going to happen, uh, all got announced last week at VMware Explorer. So that was it. Uh, we talked about some of the ones that are more cloud-native, and we do have another cloud-related 
VMware story today for this week for you. But uh, you know, overall, uh, Tanzu. That's all. That's all I know. No Tanzu on bare metal. Uh, I mean, they do run VMware <laughs> yeah. on uh, on Outpost, so technically, yes. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. So Tanzu on VMware on Outpost is yeah. not Tanzu on bare metal. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Tanzu will you know orchestrate and maintain your bare metal Kubernetes clusters as well as you know clusters in the cloud deployed in the cloud hypervisor. So it's I mean, does it run in bare metal? I don't know. I you know some of these announcements are you know, isolated workloads and air gaps. So I assume that there's something that's running somewhere. Yeah. I think it's also, you know, it's a lot of cloud subscription services to to sort of manage these things as well. It, you know, these announcements are kind of funny because it's like you see how VMware is positioning themselves just like they did with virtual machines and the orchestration there and sort of making that easy. They really are doing that for Kubernetes workloads. A lot of these big announcements were, um, Tanzu support of managing existing EKS clusters. So they're really focusing on that operator level who's providing Kubernetes to the rest of their business and trying to optimize um, across many, many, many clusters. In fact, that's all that, that the Kubernetes grid thing does. All that does is coordinate cluster management. So yeah. if you've got 1,700 Kubernetes clusters, you can make them all the same with the same settings. It just automates that and orchestrates that. They can all go down at the same time. Exactly. (laughs) I think it's cool. I think it makes sense that that's what they're focusing on. And then just the question comes down to if you're picking Kubernetes as your control plane, is VMware the right company to standardize on? I think if you are cloud resistant as an organization and you've already been on the VMware camp for a long time, then this is your solution to being cloudy, but being cloudy in my own data center. And so I think it's an interesting play. I do think... Kubernetes is still ridiculously hard, even with GKE and AKS and EKS. Um, I think if VMware can solve the developer problem and the deployment problems and dealing with all the mess of services and pods and and all those things and make that more enterprise approachable, they could run away with it. I just don't think they know that yet. Yeah, I I don't see them working towards that. The, The Kubernetes experience is pretty native, right? That which is sort of what the market wants. Like developers are active, you know, they wanted to find their pods and stuff in in the YAML and just shove that over to an operations team. And so it's really about the control and maintaining of the Kubernetes platforms itself. So and you know, like this is this is also just an abstraction layer so that if you wanted to run a cluster in GCP and AWS, everyone could use the same centralized Tanzu provided API in your company and you don't really have to care where that that workload is hosted. So, you know, there's some advantages there if you're trying to, you know, keep things, you know, like simplistic from the from the the you know the cloud API level, right? You only have to give very limited permissions to developers in, to those cloud right. resources. That is a great advantage. Sure. Not, I mean, I wouldn't pay the money for it, but you know, like it's it's definitely something that if you already have VMware and you you know lumping on a little bit of cost of Tanzu on top of it, and then you can sort of just can have a single control plane for it. Maybe it works out. Yeah. All right, let's move on to AWS with the open sourcing event ruler. Uh, For those of you who don't know what an event ruler is, apparently this is the magic behind the 2019 release of Amazon EventBridge, which is, of course, a serverless event bus that makes it easy to connect applications with data from a variety of sources. Uh, The key to the service is routing rules that determine where to send your data in real time based on the event payload. 
Uh, Amazon, though, is now taking this technology and making it open source uh, under the Apache 2.0 license. Uh, it's a Java library that builds applications that can match any number of rules against events at several hundred thousands of events per second. Both events and rules are JSON objects, but rules additionally can be expressed through an inbuilt query language that helps describe custom matching patterns. The library supports matching against numbers, numeric ranges, IP addresses, booleans, arrays, prefixes, and suffixes. suffixes. Uh, and you can do complex matches against nested JSON objects and check for non-existence of values. Uh, you can find all the details on the matchers on the GitHub repo. Uh, and despite these features, the library will continue to perform at speed, even if you add millions of rules. Uh, Event Ruler is built on top of the finite state machine, where they look at each JSON key value pair at one at a time, stepping through the nested JSON objects as necessary, and then comparing each against pre-compiled rules. There's also the ability to add and remove rules at runtime, which will dynamically update a compiled machine. As rules are pre-compiled and optimized for matching, you can perform checks very, very fast. And he talked about his 2019 MacBook laptop, uh, Intel-based, that he got 180 million transactions per second on the Event Ooh. Ruler. So, wow. Yeah, this thing is quick. <laughs> Yeah, that thing won't even run Chrome anymore. So that's impressive, you know. Sorry, 180,000 evaluations yeah. per second. That's crazy. I'll check that number. Yeah, uh, I, you know, definitely I could see some value in this thing if you could use it in other products. It's interesting that they chose to open source it because it does seem like it's a pretty key fundamental part of EventBridge. Uh, and so, you know, giving this technology to the world through Apache 2.0. Uh, does feel like a little interesting because Google yeah. can now steal this or Azure or any other cloud provider. But uh, you know, it's also nice because you maybe can get more more matching types with open source contributions to this if it gets popularity. So it, it curious to see what happens to it over time. But mm -hmm. uh, I like the idea of it. They should use yeah. Elastic's uh, uh, licensing. <laughs> Anyone can use it except Google and and Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've written Kludier you know, very not as performant versions of this um, several times in my career. So this is a great thing to add to the open source community, but it does sort of feel like, I don't think AWS is doing this out of the goodness of their heart. So what's the play? <laughs> well, again, we are in the beginning to plant seeds to reinvent. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, if this is a, a thing you can use for high, high performance matching scenarios, maybe this becomes something that gets built into something else later uh -huh. that they want to make it available to you so you can extend it. But, you know, we haven't, the picture is still opaque of what the real value of this is going to be. But uh, you know, the fact that it's out there is good. Or, you know, it's the classic, uh, I'm leaving Amazon and I worked on this code for five years and I'd like to make it open source <laughs> before I go to my new job. So I can keep using it? So I can keep using it at my next place. You know, it could be that classic move. That's, a, that's one of my favorite open source moves. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I've, I have seen that before. Yeah, it's always a possibility, too. Uh, that's funny. Well, the inspector now supports Windows operating systems for continual software vulnerability scanning of EC2 workloads. Uh, that means that Windows Server 2012, 2012 R2, 2016, 2019, and 2022 uh, all support continual EC2 vulnerability scanning. Well, customers have, have the inspector EC2 scanning already enabled and the AWS SSM agent installed and configured do not need to take any additional actions to get this benefit. Uh, Windows instances will now automatically and continually be scanned for software vulnerabilities and unintended network exposure. And new customers can start with Inspector with a single click in the AWS Management Console. And like, I don't know if I like this feature or hate this feature because on one side, <laughs> I'm remediating things. I love that things just start coming off the dashboard. But then I also, on the flip side of it, it's like, oh, the vulnerabilities are climbing on Patch Tuesday as it continuously scans ah. for these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and my SOC team gets cranky. So, I, you know, pluses and minuses. Yeah, especially the fact that you don't have to do anything to enable this for Windows workloads if you're already on SSM. So all of a sudden, just boatloads of new vulnerabilities are on that dashboard. 
Like, yeah. Yikes. Well, you wonder, like, I don't, you know, it's been a while since I've looked at the inspector console, but, uh, you know, did you, I think you had to schedule inspector checks previously. So now if it's continuous and you haven't run an inspector check for a long time, does like all of a sudden, does it now like, poof, you have all these new things that you hadn't scanned for in six months for some reason. Yeah. I mean, when they rebranded or I guess not really rebranded, but when they redesigned inspector, it, it has got a tight integration with SSM. And so it's, you know, part of the SSM management and that, that continuous scheduling now is part of orchestrated all through SSM. So yeah, it's very, di- it's very different from the inspector of, you know, of yesterday of the old, because where, where it was like you, you know, you scheduled the check and it executed the check. And then if you didn't care about whatever policy you were violating, it didn't matter. There's no chance to edit it. It was just going to return everything that it found. Perfect. Not, not the most useful. But I mean, and this is, you know, like I would say that this is equivalent to, you know, like Qualys vulnerability scanner, or, you know, something else. There's a bunch of other vulnerability scanners that I don't know the names of yeah. more so, you know, so. I would say better to know than not know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, this is in the uh, FU Orca category of Amazon announcements right now, because I think they're, they're still bitter with them. <laughs> so Is it actually Orca? Because it's it's just vulnerability management, right? So it's taking inventory and looking and for. That's really Orca's claim to fame is that they can take your image, you take your AMI, they snapshot it, they restore it on a different box, they scan it, and they tell you what's vulnerable in your image and throw it away, right? But uh, I thought they were doing the CrowdStrike move where they were looking for like uh, malware signatures. Well, they have and, now pivoted that okay. direction if you want to go that way. But um, you know, the core fundamental technology is still very tied to that, and uh, that's why. Yeah, I think Amazon uh, was a little mad at them when they started publishing vulnerabilities regularly, and so they basically got that feature built into their Inspector product too. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Makes sense. All right, well, moving on to GCP, which had nothing going on this week. They are definitely on vacation down there in Mountain View. Uh, other than a uh, security analyst diary, I love to read a good security analyst diary. Dear diary, today I detected a DDoS attack and defended against it. <laughs> uh, but no, no, that's not actually the case. This is a Chronicle blog post uh, diary, and so they wanted to tell us about some new features that have come to Chronicle recently. Uh, you know, One of the things about Chronicle is that it's a very large data lake that it builds in the background to uh, do all your security processing with. And so one of the things that is sort of important is that if you're overwhelming your data lake with ingestion, you know, your data lake may be very behind or have other problems and you're not getting the, build, the data that you need uh, in a timely fashion. And so now they're giving you ingestion metrics, uh, which now with the Chronicle Data Lake now includes streaming updates to help address low latency requirements and provide visibility into the activities of the Chronicle forwarder and feed management feature, which I always appreciate knowing how much I'm ingesting and how it's screwing up all of my things. <laughs> uh, new support for Yara-L, uh, Chronicle's detection engine provides string and regex matching and timestamps and arithmetic operations, ultimately enabling you to craft even more robust detection than Chronicle's rule engine. The new Yara-L functionality enables operations upon several different timestamp fields available in Chronicle's UDM, ultimately enabling you to apply more fine-grained time-based criteria into your detections. Uh, which, you know, in the blog post, or the Dear Diary, uh, they get into very, very heavy detail <laughs> of how you might use this data, which is really interesting, uh, but not really great co- podcast content. So if, you're, <laughs> if that intrigued you in any way, what I just said, uh, it is actually very interesting to read, and I would check that out in the blog post. Uh, but I will not bore the rest of our listeners who don't care about security things. And then uh, Chronicle Native Virus Total Augment Widget is now available to you. Apparently, you used to be able to get this capability to see what your virus total threat is uh, through a Chrome browser extension that was maintained by a third party. Now this is all native to you, so it's built right into the Chronicle console to check out your virus total augment score. I mean, I can sum up the URL stuff in a way that 
at least our listeners won't be so curious that they they go off and read the article and then get disappointed. It's it's functions. So instead of specifying a range of timestamps, you could say how many days. Like I want to see everything in the last three days. You can define mm. the function. That kind of thing. Yeah. Super interesting, but you know, it. I mean, it's really handy, but it's you know, it's it's those types of functions that make the tool a lot more usable. Nice. Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Falcon Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. All right, let's move to Azure. Uh, first up, Azure Managed Grafana is now generally available with lots of great features and capabilities. And those features include seamless connection to Azure data sources or services uh, and custom things that are not Azure related. Secured access and sharing of Grafana dashboards with Azure AD. So, hey, I have an Azure group. I can now make you have access to my dashboard. Uh, new dashboards pre-built for Azure data sources like GeoMapped availability tests and load balancing dashboards, containers, and more. And you can try it out for 30 days for free. And then it's priced based on several factors, including instances, uh, which run at about $0.06 cents per hour, uh, $6 per month for each active user, and uh, basically 4 pennies per hour per hour for zone redundancy available too. So not super expensive uh, unless you have a lot of users, and then it might get pricey real quick, or a lot of data flying into those instances, and you need more than a couple uh, by default, you get two, uh, which is a pretty healthy uh, initial Grafana size, I'd say, until you get to larger Kubernetes mm-hmm. scale. Yeah, I mean, the, the cost is one thing. I, it's not that expensive, but I don't like how complex it is. Because, you know, if you're trying to do forecasting or if you're trying to evaluate a service, whether it be cost-effective, you know, so to base off of, it makes it really hard to sort of extrapolate where you'll be in two, three years from now, based on, you know, when it's the more factors that you have to factor in there. So it's... Eh. I'm, you know, especially the zone redundancy. Like, I just don't get it. I understand from a product perspective, they're trying to include it and be very transparent about the cost that it takes to operate the service, but it also makes it really hard on the customers. Yeah, isn't yeah. it just a second instance running? Pretty much, yeah. And then they charge you. Yeah. But it's a different zone, so you know, fault tolerance. Well, I would hope it was in a different zone, otherwise it would be kind of pointless. <laughs> I mean, did you do you remember using RDS in the early days? <laughs> Uh, was RDS enterprise ready in those days? I mean, multi everything the, the the multi instance same AZ feature. I don't remember that one. <laughs> well, it wasn't it wasn't really advertised that way. It was just like yeah, you can get multiple nodes, and then they just got shoved into the same AZ. <laughs> and then they came out with a multi AZ option, and everyone was like, "Oh, that wasn't happening before." <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a second. Enterprise-ready Azure Monitor change analysis capabilities has been released, uh, which that's 
that's complicated. Like, can you give a better name for that? Mm. Apparently, change analysis uh, is an observably tool that enables efficient issue triaging and root causing by centrally showing changes inside and outside of Azure web apps. Both on top of Azure's resource graph, the capability securely stores resources and application configuration change data with added role-based access control rules on viewing that sensitive information. Change analysis supports scalable queries across multiple subscriptions, and there are several key change analysis capabilities and integrations that have been released as part of the general availability. First, it's fully integrated into the Azure Monitor portal, of course. Uh, performance and scalability improvements for large queries on change data for those of you doing massive amounts of changes, which is none of you on Azure, I assume. <laughs> Simplified change data presentations aggregated by subscription and resource groups, and a single pane of glass uh, integrating with existing workflows and tools for diagnosing and solving problems, activity log change history, metrics drill, drill and change logs, and Azure workbooks. I think this press release is misleading, and I hate it. Uh, oh. Like, like it's it's you know it's a it's a config like service for Azure workloads, right? So it's it allows you know an Azure user to look at what type of API and resource changes have happened in that environment. But it's the fact you know they abstract things that are like inside and outside of web apps, and it's like eh, kind of you know. Um, well, and why really, limit it to web apps? It's yeah, sort of a weird limitation. It's a weird limit, and I just don't understand that. And then, you know, every other feature is that it would fall over with any, you know, decent workload on it. And so they've turned that into a press release going, oh, well, now it's enterprise ready. You know, it's like, well, okay. You mean you couldn't scale before and now you can. Now you can. Yeah. Uh, just some of the the changes when you get when you dive in, like the the amount of things you can display in a in a dashboard and stuff like that. They're, they weren't ridiculous high. It's not like millions and millions, but it, the performance I'm sure just wasn't there. Well, yeah. If they did one thing right with this product, it was the naming. Because it, all I can think about when I see that is the thousands of times we've been trying to troubleshoot an issue, and all you ask is what changed. I just tell yeah. what changed. <laughs> nothing. Nothing changed. Nothing. Something yeah, changed. No, nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Like everything's always in a state of change, so it's always. I hate that that troubleshooting method of what changed. It's it's very accurate and very useful, but it's also sort of like we build everything now to auto scale automatically and auto heal automatically and do all these things. Like the only constant is change. Yeah, but like to be fair, okay. So you're auto scaling, so you have a dynamic number of instances all the time, but your auto scaling rule is the same. Until you change it, that's what changed, right? Yeah, but your auto scaling rule is looking at an input metric like your customer. So, did you, are you, unless your customers are very static and uniform, which is never the case, and they never yeah. do new processes or new things or test against production, you know, like don't do that. <laughs> what changed? We tested against production. See, that is right there works perfect. Well, that was uh, your impression of enterprise grade. I, I hate to talk about this next one, <laughs> which is uh, enterprise grade edge for Azure static web apps is now generally available, enabling faster page loads, enhanced security, and optimized reliability for your global applications. Enterprise grade edge combines the capabilities of Azure static web apps, Azure front door, and Azure CDN into a single secure cloud CDN platform with global presence in 118 lo edge locations. Caching the assets at the edge, proactive protection against DDoS attacks, native support for end-to-end -end IPv6 and HTTP2. Better get on that HTTP3 thing. It's the new thing. Uh -oh. Optimized file compression uh, is your final feature, all available to you from the enterprise-grade edge for Azure Static Web Apps. I mean, fortunately for the Azure Marketing Department, they didn't provide any details on what makes this different from what they had before. Like they, they, 
you know, they there was an edge, you know, CDN. Now it's enterprise grade. Cool. It does caching assets at the edge. Pretty sure it did that before. So like, yeah, I don't know. But there's no details in the in the press release, so I have no idea, and I'm not a user. Smart marketing group. Well, they don't want to, they don't want to tell you how they were inefficient, <laughs> you know, inferior before. They just want you to assume they give you many yeah. things that you know. Yeah. yeah. People who are using Edge before and who asked for these features, they know. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And they're very happy. Yeah. You call it Edge location, but there's only one location. Yeah, really. We didn't say locations. <laughs> well, Oracle is pleased to give you Lake. OCI Lake service. Lake it's service. Lake. So it, it vends lake. lakes. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a lake service. Uh, like apparently, you know, but on the surface of this, you think that's well, that's, a, that's a data lake, um, but not not really because that's Oracle's <laughs> big data service. But this this OCI Lake service is uh, provides you fine grained access control to all resource in a data lake's object storage. Uh, OCI Lake includes RBAC, lake sharing, data catalog, and data integration services and connectors to Exadata, MySQL HeatWave, Oracle Autonomous Database, Big Data Services, Data Flow, Data Science Notebooks, and more coming soon. This is all an early access release uh, with upcoming global release in 2023. And so if you're trying to use this right now, there's no use to use Lake. No cost. All free. Mm. Free Lake. Until after GA, then it costs you lots and, of monies. So don't get too excited yeah. about it. <laughs> that's very confusing that's the most confusing naming I've ever heard I, I mean in the in the annals of uh, cloud naming standards and product, I mean it's definitely in the bottom 10 <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. the okay, worst ever enough. I don't know but uh, yeah it's it's not very uh, just, you know it, it implies that you're getting a, a data lake but you're not getting a data lake you're just getting the RBAC controls to a data lake that you already built in another data system so it's a little, little, little weird. Uh, I give Oracle no props for this one. No. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how these services actually work because I, I know the problem that they're trying to solve. And I, you know, like it's just there's you've got many different data sets. You're trying to control access to portions of that data in your data lake. And you're trying, and that's from a user perspective as well as like an application, you know, it's. And so there, there's a bunch of services that are coming up around this sort of data data lake management, um, which is really it's it's interesting. But I haven't really seen a solution that I feel is effective. Right? That would have been a much better name. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Well, that is it for new news this week. Like I said it's a it's a short week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Peter, take us a lightning round. Unity Catalog for Azure Databricks is now GA. Yeah. If I was doing the game development, I'd be throwing bricks everywhere. So this makes total sense. <laughs> so this isn't even tied to the Unity platform at all. <laughs> like I know, but a, I'm going to play it off like it is. <laughs> so bad. This is the same thing as the the lake announcement, just by another terrible name. Like they're just trying to unify access to to, to data the lake house to the lake, to the lake house. house. Yeah. Oh, the lake house. Great movie. Azure Cosmos DB integrated cache is now GA. I mean, like, the fact that there wasn't a cache before, I call shenanigans. Like, this isn't something new. It was always there. Just they made it bigger and something they could charge you for. Nice mm-hmm. try, Azure. <laughs> hmm. Fishy. You can now authenticate to Azure Service Bus using managed identities. <laughs> I mean, 
was it all anonymous before? Like, yeah. how did you authenticate before? Were they managed by somebody? There's always somebody involved. I'll take features that should exist at GA time, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, AWS announces open source credentials fetcher to simplify Microsoft AD access from Linux containers. Uh, how to ruin a perfectly good Linux container. Add AD to the mix and stir. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like, take that, dev team. Now you're terrible excuse why you can't port.net to containers and you have to run on Windows is no more. Ha. Ha. <laughs> AWS Fargate announces availability of Microsoft Windows Server 2022 images for Amazon ECS. Which, remember, is the only appropriate way to wa- run a Windows host container as through Fargate. Like we don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about AWS config conformance pack templates can now be stored in AWS Systems Manager? You really know when AWS is scratch, you know, scratching the bottom of the barrel of feature ideas when they're like, hey, what if we just made it easier to use S3 and call it a feature? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do love this because they're they're all the announcements for config are like how to delegate it to a specific account and the organization, empowering the organization to scan multiple things. And now this is sort of the other way. It was like, no, distribute all of our configurations to all, all the accounts in our org. All of the things. <laughs> Amazon managed service for Prometheus Alert Manager and Ruler Logs now available in Amazon CloudWatch Logs. Because who watches Prometheus? Well, of course, CloudWatch watches Prometheus. Duh. <laughs> I mean... No one watches CloudWatch, but yeah, Prometheus yeah. has to get watched. Well, maybe you set up uh, Prometheus metrics on your CloudWatch ingestion, and then, you know, if you've got the full circle. Ooh. Yeah, you just <laughs> loop them through your alert. That's an alert loop. Yeah. <laughs> Announcing new AWS console home widgets for recent AWS blog posts and launch announcements. That's so remember when they came out with widgets for the homepage, and we said, oh, we can't wait to see really exciting things they're going to yeah. do with them. Yeah, and these are the first new ones they announced: blog yeah. posts and launch announcements. Yeah, you, know, you can save yourself a lot of time just listening to the Cloud Pod. Yeah, yeah, I will. Thank you for now making an extra chore of things I have to deva- disable on my Amazon console homepage. Do you think this is the first launch announcement in the launch announcements wizard? <laughs> or you know, I, I didn't widget. actually go. On, I, I didn't actually go and look you at know? it. So. I, yeah, <laughs> kind of have to go look now. <laughs> I didn't want to log into the console today, but now I'm going to thank you for that, Peter. And that's how Peter got a point. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to Peter. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. We wrap it up. Mm-hmm. That is it. Um, I'm going to, despite the barrage of content that Justin gave us, I can't get over the fact that you snuck in a Jeopardy <laughs> reference under your breath. I don't even know if people heard it. It was so good. <laughs> It's Ryan. Well, <laughs> well done. Moved up to yeah. five, Ryan. You're on my heels. Two down. I'm real, yeah. Oh, kept it competitive this, this year. I mean, yeah. also how the Peter was gone for like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> eight <laughs> points missing just from Peter not being here. Yeah. And then if we keep sabotaging, you know, Jonathan, so he never comes in, then I've got a chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there are some things coming up. Uh, VM, VMware, uh, whatever they called it. Event Horizon or VMware. Yeah, Explorer. VMware Explorer. That's over, That's over now, so we don't talk about that anymore. But September is still coming around the corner. Uh, the CSA conference on September 26th through the 30th in Bellevue, Washington. ElasticCon right after that, October 4th in San Francisco. And Google Cloud Next, October 11th through the 13th. That's that's practically a month away, guys. It's not even far. Like wow. It's, uh, 
it's gonna be exciting uh see what they come out with in that announcements uh series so looking forward to all those things and more check out the show notes if you're curious and other things coming up that we are checking out and keeping an eye on uh or if you have ideas for things to send to us to add to the events uh we'd love to get those as well so we will pimp your event for free <laughs> so please send those in to us uh yeah uh with editor discretion of course <laughs> so. <laughs> And that is it for another fantastic week here in the cloud. Bye, everybody. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Well, uh, you know, this week, a uh, big tech event happened. Uh, probably the biggest tech event that is not cloud-related uh, of the year, in my opinion, because I'm an Apple fanboy. And, of course, it was the <laughs> iPhone 14 event. Woo! Uh, and they had announcements for new watches, new phones, and new AirPods Pro. Uh, so I thought we'd uh, we'd be like Apple Podcast for a couple minutes here and talk about yeah. uh, all the new cool things uh, and what you're excited about. Because uh, everyone here, because Jonathan's not here, is an iPhone user. I think mm-hmm. I think Peter's iPhone user. Uh, Jonathan is our lone Android user, so he's not here to humbug us. So we can <laughs> we can enjoy our joy of all these things that we think are new and that Android's had for years. So I am yeah. an I I am an iPhone user, and I bought a 13 the day before the 14s came out. Just to just wanted yeah. to see that. Your timing is impeccable. Was that yeah. a was that a decision that was forced on you by a broken phone, or was that just bad luck? I just don't care. Ah, yeah. To be honest, I love the I love the fact that the 13s reintroduced the mini that form factor. And the form factor is really the main thing I look for in phones. I don't take that many pictures. I don't do that much stuff with my phones. And I just wanted the one that fits in my pocket. And I've been waiting for years. And so I liked it. And that was your last chance to get it because the 14 did not include a mini. So well, there you go. I made the right call. You made the right call. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, you, did pay, you did pay full price for that versus I think you probably got a discount the day, <laughs> the day after on the 13. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm philanthropic that way. I like to give... Tim Cook you like to give the, you like give the, the most profitable company, company in the world, you know, <laughs> money. That's good. It's really big at you. <laughs> hey, really, it's very humble. Very humble. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, I think Ryan, you said you had some questions for me about the announcements. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, what I know that you know, usually you're my go-to source for for the Apple announcements, and I've you know I've read the headlines and yeah, I you know the, including the one where it's like the I think it was you know. Steve Jobs' daughter not being all that excited about the features of the iPhone 14. <laughs> well, she she yeah. retweeted an Instagram thing where guys in a red, um, you know, a red shirt, basically, uh, it's uh, like one of those lumberjack shirts. I'm forgetting the name. Uh, you know, I'm from Seattle. I can't even remember the name of it at this moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, anyways, he gets a new one. Looks, like it's identical to it. And he's like, oh great, my new my new iPhone 14 is here. <laughs> it's the same shirt he's already wearing. Which is sort flannel. of flannel, yeah, flannel. flannel. Thank you, flannel. Uh, <laughs> it's, like it's been too. a long week, man. Long week. <laughs> uh, yeah, the one, the one that I love the best was that they they took the the notch, which has been sort of you know made fun of mercilessly, yeah. and then they they made it a feature by renaming it to the dynamic island that dynamically switch, shifts size and shape. And all I can think of is like, oh, so you touch barred the notch. <laughs> Made yeah. it into a feature. It's well done. Well done on that one. Yeah, because uh, it doesn't ever go away all the way, right? Like, which is the main complaint, right? Is that it's taking up valuable screen real estate. 
Yeah, but it, it's but the thing, but the secret is they, that, that that dynamic island doesn't go away either. I know. <laughs> like, he, he that's the funny part. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Like, down. <laughs> it just moves around now and gets bigger and smaller. Now it gets bigger context. if you get a notification. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a terrible idea. But uh, you know, it, it just sort of find like the touch bar of mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it has a bunch of new notifications, actions, and things. that will be interesting to see how they actually work. Uh, I'm a little curious on that. And then uh, you know, some other things that they did do uh, eSIM support only now, so they got rid of physical SIMs. Which wow. On one side, I'm like, thank God, because I I was tired of SIMs 15 years ago, uh, let alone you know now with uh, eSIM. But you know, the one challenge with eSIMs for those who travel internationally in some countries, they don't support eSIM yet. So this is going to be a fun couple of years as all those carriers now rush to support eSIM, just to support the iPhone, which is one of the most profitable phones they can sell. Um, so I expect that'll be a good thing. But uh, I, I am curious about being able to sw- quickly switch between, like, when I go to India or I go to other international locations, like, can I can I get a pay-as-you-go eSIM from a vendor and, like, can I use it in this country? Like, I'm curious. It's like, that's the dream. I just don't know if it exists. Another great reason I got a 13 and I didn't know yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I wish they'd register SIMs, right? Because I think that, you know, the, the SIM registration and the ability to spoof phone numbers and stuff is a little too easy. And so, like, the... Yeah, not that the physical thing helps in any way, but like if you could sort of keep a better track of that, maybe it's a security feature. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting idea too. Uh, they now, if you uh, are a person, oh, one of the big themes of the event this week was uh, Apple will prevent you from dying <laughs> <laughs> uh, through like the you know basically like car crash detection. Uh, this feature for the phone basically you know lets it connect to send emergency SOS to a satellite from your phone. Uh, so if you're in the back country and you break your leg and you hold your phone up to the sky and it tells you where the satellite's at and you can send a very small message to a call center who will send help for you, which I think is what cool. What if you break your arm? Well, then you use the other arm to <laughs> hold the phone up. <laughs> and when you break that arm, you use your nose. Yeah. I mean, it can't so it can't save you from everything, but it can save you from a lot of things. Let's, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the new watches, uh, they gave you a new Ultra watch for uh, your really diehard fitness people this is not a watch for me whatsoever uh you know but like if you're a diver it goes down to more depth it has longer battery life if you're a you know ultra runner it has like 36 hours of battery charge for them uh super rugged titanium case you know fully waterproof it's it's quite interesting and then they give you a new series 8 watch uh with temperature sensors uh to help with fertility tracking which is important for our female friends uh or for those who are trying to you know get pregnant it's a great way to be able to test that and of course, with Apple's privacy, uh, they highlighted that quite heavily because, of course, you know, in states where abortions are illegal, uh, mm. they don't want that data subpoenaed <laughs> and used against you, uh, which is interesting. They finally killed the Apple Watch 3 and gave you the Apple Watch SE, which is the new cheap one, which starts at uh, $249 with GPS or $299 for the cell version. Which is cheap, huh? And then AirPods <laughs> Pro 2, which I, I was super excited about because my AirPods are getting a little long in the tooth, uh, which I'm super excited about. So, yeah, I mean, good, good announcements overall. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm still nursing my my watch three, and I'm like, I don't know, you know, like, thing, it's holding up quite well. Which, as abusive as I am to peripherals, like this is kind of amazing. Yeah, I have a I have a seven, um, but I will skip the eight just because I don't I don't see anything super compelling with it for me. I mean, I don't I don't have a fertility problem that I need to track for myself. <laughs> Um, so it's not really a feature for me, but uh, you know, I, I'm glad it's there. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't see anything compelling for the watch this year. I think the watch for me has always been kind of like a every other year purchase or every three year purchase. Even uh, it's really once the battery starts dying in them, that's when you replace them. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of my rule of thumb. But the three is pretty slow, so I imagine 
you'll probably see a big bump going to the newer one if you wanted to make the jump. But uh, yeah, it's not necessary until the battery starts crapping out. Yeah, exactly. I think because of the three slowness, which and I'm not a big user of it, right? Like I want to I want a thing that notifies me when I'm supposed to be in a meeting that I forgot, you know, like I'm, I'm not. And then it tells the time, which is, you know, a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it doesn't really suck a lot of battery power. So, I was, you know, like still getting close to 36 hours on a charge just with with not because I don't use it all that much. It's always off. So yeah, I keep waiting for the like the 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 showstopper feature on the new watches to see like oh I get rid of this thing, but it hasn't come yet. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this year if you're like you're that super outdoorsy guy or gal, I think the mm-hmm. ultra is potentially compelling to you. Or if you're a diver and you really like your mm-hmm. Apple Watch and have been you know you use one of those really uh, large Garmin thousand dollar backpack watches, then I think that's mm-hmm. a good market. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't, I didn't really see anything compelling. I mean, even the iPhone 14 compared to the 13, you know, is not a huge upgrade, <laughs> you know, in many ways, that's the joke again from, you know, Steve Jobs' daughter mm-hmm. is that it's to the same thing. It's the same form factor. It's, you know, slightly bigger, but you know, it's not really that much bigger. Uh, you know, the emergency SOS thing is a nice feature, but again, it's not a feature you're going to use every day or that you hope to ever use. Hopefully never. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and the ability for like uh, you know you to be able to detect crashes and things like that that's helpful from a, a health and safety thing. Um, but you know one thing I think is kind of cool is coming to is the watches are getting a power save mode finally, which is mm-hmm. not the you know, and the watch right now I think if you get ten percent battery it turns into like this weird firmware mode where it only shows you the time. So you don't yeah, which is useless. Your, which is useless. Like, yeah. Uh, but a low power mode like I would definitely use that. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of glad about that one. I'm excited to see how much better that makes my watch because I, I really can't get through more than a day. I have to charge my watch up. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you could tailor that too, or you could tune, if you could turn specific things like I don't know, like certain app notifications to only work in low power mode. Like I think I would just leave it on all the time. Yeah, I think the first time, first watch I will buy from Apple will be the one when I don't need the phone, just the watch and earbuds, and I'm done. Mm. I mean, you sort of can do that today mm. as long as you don't need to do, you know, email <laughs> or, you know, it, type things on the thing. Cause the, nah, because you, you still need a phone to install the apps and, and to no, sort I mean, of you don't, you don't need a phone. Face. I mean, you, you don't do need it? a phone anymore to install apps. The app store exists on the, on the watch. So Does it? Actually, okay. Yeah. Uh, I so I could wear the watch it. today, put in my earbuds, go for a jog, listen to my Spotify, and if I need to call someone, I can call them. Yes. Oh, wow come a long way as long as you have the cell phone version of the watch right yeah which is probably i'm not sure you can buy the plan without paying the phone plan though because it's an it's a tax. well i mean they would charge you they would charge you more money for it in theory Uh, Mm um but yeah like my kids uh they both have apple watches um because i did i refuse to buy them cell phones because i don't think they're old enough for them yet Mm -hmm. uh so they both have watches and they're they're Technically paired to mine, but they're pretty mm-hmm. much completely isolated. Like they don't do anything; they do everything on their watch. Like they install mm-hmm. apps and games and walkie-talkie each other and all the things that I don't ever use on my watch because they're annoying. But uh, the kids love them to play with them and do those things with that. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, you pretty much can. I, I think you're right. You probably do have to have a phone to do the initial setup, but then after that, you don't need the phone. So if you had an old iPhone, you could just set up the watch and then never yeah. look back. I mean, I have a phone at home, but buy the watch, and then when you don't want to carry your phone with you wherever you're going because it doesn't fit in your pocket, then yeah. yeah. And that that reality is just watch. 
Yeah, it's definitely been there. Yeah, like you can definitely do that. Again, I know people that do that, especially runners. And, you know, it makes sense that the the market for the new watch is going after that yeah. because a lot of people are like, screw this big computer or like a trouser Mac, as I like to call mine. <laughs> I don't want them to carry that everywhere. Yeah. It definitely really kills the, the, the IT, iPhone 14 Pro Max. Uh, you know, definitely kills the whole need for having a... Uh, you know, a mini iPad. Like yeah. the fact that mini yeah. iPads exist anymore, I'm just sort of like I chuckle about that every time. I'm like, hey, it's not that much bigger than my phone. It's really not. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, are you guys gonna buy anything? Or, oh, I know. We know Peter just bought a 13, so he's mm-hmm. out. Are you buying one, Ryan? Are you waiting? I'm out? waiting for my watch to die, and then I will. I will buy an eight, most likely. About on the phone side. No, no. I I was very reluctant to buy a 13. Um, upgrading from my 8s, um, so I'm not a. I, I don't upgrade every time for sure, and I was really reluctant because I thought the iPhone, some of the rumored features of the iPhone 13, which were supposedly shelved by pandemic and supply chain issues, to the 14, just and they're still not here. So now I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just not, not gonna bother then. So yeah, we'll see. I'll probably you know wait for my phone to die and buy the iPhone 27 when it comes out. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. I keep waiting for the uh, I, I keep waiting for like a form factor redesign because like they've been sticking with this you know three frying pans on the back you know the unibody case basically for you know, this is the third or fourth phone that you know they basically look exactly mm-hmm. the same other than the notch is changing yeah which is not a feature to uh, maybe they maybe they're waiting until the point they can get to the uh, you know the point they don't actually need to have that camera bump and then they'll do a new form factor to celebrate the fact that they no longer have the the dreaded notch but then now that now it's a feature I don't know if you can ever get rid of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of. That's oh, they did. They did finally kill the the touch bar with the new Max. So, oh, finally. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, I'm a, I am I picked up a, five, a 14. I pre-ordered it this morning, and I also got the new AirPods because the AirPods I was all about. I the AirPods. Um, I love the sound cancellation of my. You know, yeah, the, the new AirPod Pros are thirty so, like, percent better. better. Yeah, thirty like, percent better. I'm like, it's already incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's not as good as the Sony over ear um, canceling headphones that I use on like, airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like, that's because those are massive, big batteries. They're huge. They're hard <laughs> to know? carry around. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't expect that from my AirPod Pros, but yeah. the fact they're even saying they're going to get 30%, that's a noticeable improvement. So, yeah. I just can't wear those. They fall out of my ears. I have to wear over the ear style. Even I with did the, have oh. to replace. I did have to replace the tips with like the the foamy tips because otherwise I had the same issue. So I, the original AirPods I couldn't wear because they were just too hard in my ears. Uh, so the pros with the fact they had the little I think it was in your ear and all that those worked out really well for me. So in it worked channel. out for me. But uh, yeah, so those those stay in my ear pretty well and, and don't have any issues. But uh, you know, it's definitely you know I've heard a lot of people say they can't wear AirPods. <laughs> so I couldn't. The problem with the original AirPods was they they didn't quite fit my ear structure without hurt you know causing pain after a while. Oh. Uh, so so the AirPod Pros were always a plus because they were smaller and then they had the better fit and the noise canceling, which was all great. Yeah, I like good. the Beats. I like the Beats over the years. They're really good. Yeah, I mean, you're still getting an Apple product with the Beats. You're just yep. getting the Beats branded one. So integration's great. The spatial audio, I could take it less. Like, it's it's a bit of a like I don't I don't think it's that compelling of a feature. Like I yeah. like maybe in some games it's cool or you know a specific thing that you're but like it actually takes me. I'll, if I notice when it's on on accident on my iPad, that if I'm watching a movie, and I turn my head and all of a sudden the audio shifts. Like it mm-hmm. takes me right out of whatever. It I'm bothers watching. me. Yeah, yeah, it does. In so. the same way, I'm like, nah, pass. Yeah. <laughs> Turn that right off. They do have a new thing on the AirPods though, where you can like change the volume now by like slowly stroking the the stem. <laughs> <laughs> the 
that's actually pretty handy because that is one of the things that like the 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 accuracy of the controls in general. Well, I mean, really, the only two controls on the AirPods Pro today are, you know, Siri and uh, mute, unmute, or stop, pause, uh, depending on what it is. And so, those are really the only two controls you have. You can't control volume unless you say Siri, you know, change the volume. Can't you answer uh, a phone call or something? Yes, you can push it to answer a phone call too. Yeah. Um, so, the fact that you can now, like, you know, do this motion on the stem where it'll basically lower the volume, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that idea too. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's probably the one thing I always hated about the AirPods is that you had to get the phone to turn them down or Siri, mm-hmm. and I don't like Siri. So, but then you also have the watch, and the watch will turn it down. So, it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so many options, so many options, right? <laughs> well, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to my new Apple toys when they get here in a few weeks. So. Awesome. Awesome. Enjoy. Let us know how it works out. I will. I'll let you know. Later. All right. All right. Bye.